I'm Jessica Duenas, and this is Bottomless to Sober, the podcast where I talk about anything and everything related to life since my transition from bottomless drinking to a sober life. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. On today's episode, I have a special guest, Jasmine Vatuloka, who is actually a post-traumatic growth coach with a background in counseling. Um, I've seen Jasmine's posts on social media for her practice, Rising Rooted Wellness, just talk a lot about this idea of post-traumatic growth. And I thought that for anybody who's listening in who has been through tough times and is recovering, not just from substances and just life itself and traumatic events, um, I just thought that Jasmine would be great to have on to share information on what post-traumatic growth is and resources and things like that. So hi, Jasmine. Thanks so much for joining. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate you. Uh, Yeah, just recognizing my voice and finding it important enough to have me on. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So I think for a lot of people listening, you know, when we hear the term post-traumatic, we think PTSD, right? Post-traumatic stress syndrome, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So could you tell us a little bit about what is post-traumatic growth for anyone who's hearing this term for the first time? Yeah, totally. And I love that you bring that because we have sort of this idea of whatever is post-traumatic kind of comes with this dark cloud over it as if it is something that is like, okay, we have to brace ourselves for whatever this topic is going to be. But something that I find really inspiring about post-traumatic growth is that it's incredibly empowering and it's very um it's, it fuels a person with hope. When we experience trauma, um, an imprint is usually left if it's on our way of conceptual, conceptualizing ourselves as a human being, our sense of safety in the world, our sense of safety in relationships, whatever, um, whatever it might be that shifts for us, there's definitely a shift in who we feel we are before and after trauma exists. So, or presents itself. So post-traumatic growth is sort of the the reconnection to yourself and the sort of reclamation of your your voice, your power, your story as you um, as you integrate all of the lessons from your healing journey and you move forward into the world um, with a sense of choice and and uh, autonomy. Essentially, we feel like we lose our power after trauma, and I think in the post-traumatic growth phase of healing, we are realizing that we have choices and we have power, and that we can actually make the life that we want without the burden of our traumatic imprints. So in a nutshell, that's how yeah. I would describe yeah. it. <laughs> I, I love that, right? Because I love I love hearing terms like empowerment and also just that reconnection piece, I think is really relevant. I think for people in recovery, a huge part of why we drank or consumed other substances is a sense of isolation, a sense of shame, a think a sense of just feeling very alone in the world. And I think that, you know, the idea of connection between people is really important for people in recovery, but there's also just that relationship to self, right? And so if there are opportunities for people to reconnect with themselves after traumatic events, yeah, like that to me just just very powerfully speaks to the word hope. And so I'm I'm really mm-hmm. excited that this is the work that you do with others. Um, yeah. So I guess my other question was, how does post-traumatic growth connect to your personal story? I feel like a lot of times when we pursue career paths, there's a, a personal passion behind it. So whatever you're comfortable with sharing, um, I, we, I feel like we'd love to hear um, how does post-traumatic growth relate to your journey? 
Yeah, so um, winding the time wheel back a few decades, um, I was born into a family with where like you can consider as well generational trauma to really be something that is imprinted into your experience right from the get go. So I was born into a circumstance where there was a lot of chaos and I was exposed to violence right from the get go. And so my own sort of nervous system as a little, a little toddler and uh, a little baby was quite... Um, quite, you know, activated from the get go. And I also had a baby sister. And so as a young one, I really um, internalized, however, that may have come to be a, a parentified role to and a protector role of my sister and my mom, who was um, a survivor of domestic violence. And so this little seed grew and grew and grew until I found myself in many relationships that were very disempowering um, from early ages with like my friendships as well as early romantic relationships um, where I was trying to understand what my needs were unconsciously trying to get them met with whatever tools I didn't have <laughs> and trying to navigate what that looked like as a little kid. Um, and of course, that blossomed into abusive dynamics as I grew into a young adult. And my process of reclamation in my power has been really around like finding my voice and using it, um, supporting other women in doing the same thing, and navigating what safety in relationships looks like as an adult and as somebody who wants to be a mother and somebody who wants to have a, you know, kind of traditional nuclear family where I feel safe and I can kind of heal the cycle of generational trauma and maybe dysfunction that I've seen and what was modeled for me. So, yeah, there are like, you know, there are, there are other stories within the overarching story, but it's a very common thing that I see with like, honestly, most of most of if not all of my clients where there are little seeds that are planted sort of in earlier years and then they they grow into certain kinds of ways of navigating relational dynamics and then there's a breaking point and then there's a recovery point um, and all sorts of different ways of coping with that breaking point, which is so human and totally there's nothing wrong with that. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting that you you talk about kind of like the seeds being planted in your youth. You know, right now, one book that I'm working through in a group setting is um, Maya Salovitz, Unbroken Brain. And basically, you know, one of her big points with regard to addiction is that it starts way before our first like drink, right. Or way yeah. before our first like interaction with a substance, because typically, you know, she talks about like brain development and how much everything has such a really strong imprint on children. Mm -hmm. And so there's even like the, the conversation of adverse childhood experiences, which, mm -hmm. um, you know, ACEs. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes for people there. I have like an NPR link that has the ACEs test that people can take, but yeah. just that really high correlation between adverse childhood experiences and a subsequent substance abuse years later. And it can be, and you know, the childhood experiences can be things such as abuse, but it can also just be say like divorce in the home, right? A parent mm -hmm. that's completely absent. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, I'm glad that you're bringing up the this connection to the childhood roots, because I think a lot of people, probably a lot of people who listen to this episode are just like wondering, well, where did my problem start? And oftentimes there's roots that go before your first drink. So 
I'm glad that you, you brought that up. And I know you mentioned a little bit about your clients. So how do you find post-traumatic growth um, showing up for the people you work with, whether it was your previous therapy clients or now that you've transitioned into coaching, um, your current coaching clients? Um, well, with coaching clients, it's sort of like our goal. So like in, in, in um, more of the counseling setting, it's like we're looking at what is presenting and then going into the past and unfolding it and unpacking it and sort of unweaving the the tangled web that that we're left with whereas with um, coaching it's more like looking at what is presenting and then saying okay how do we want to where do we want to go what is that that goalpost at the end of the tunnel and how are we going to get there and maybe there's some unpacking of the past in order to understand how we're going to move forward or what those blocks might be that are preventing us from moving forward Um, but there's this real like orientation towards post-traumatic growth is the goal so with my coaching clients a lot of them are finding that it's in relationship that they are struggling because those inner wounded parts are coming online and they are upset and they are realizing like with the creation of what you know, a person might call safe relationship safe enough relationship whatever safety feels like for the person um, there's kind of like a a process of grief that also becomes activated when somebody is meeting your needs in live time as an adult but then you're realizing oh this is a new experience for me to have my needs met because that's not my childhood experience or the opposite a real sort of inflamed sense of needing your needs to be met by your adult partner um, because of that wound that's there but them not having the skills to be able to do that or um, maybe it's a sort of you know, inflated uh, sensitivity of needing everything to be met in a sort of like hypervigilant coming from sort of a hypervigilant state, trying to assess whether or not they are actually safe in relationship, whether or not it's actually possible to create safety for themselves as an adult, because there isn't really the embodied experience of what safety is or what safety feels like, because as a child or as an adolescent, that wasn't there or it was there on paper, but perhaps just like some subconscious underlying needs that were really subtle were just missed over. And none of this is to ever criticize or blame parents because of course everyone's doing the best that they, you know, I kind of have the belief that we all grew up with emotionally immature parents. Like I know this is something in the the community that people are like, my parents were immature emotionally. And it's like, people are so emotionally mature and articulate now, like this is a brand new thing. And so just, I always sort of encourage people to extend some grace where they're, where they can, assuming that the parent was not um, actually intentionally causing harm. Um, But I see, yeah, predominantly, I see it a lot in people trying to navigate how to articulate getting their needs met, um, articulating their needs at all, navigating their emotional responses when people aren't able to meet those needs, and how to just sort of like do the dance of a really um, activated inner child in an adult body and validating that those needs are still present and how we can help people self-soothe in order to tend to what those needs are without necessarily projecting all of their trauma onto another person and causing harm to that person. So, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's fascinating. So like if I were almost visualizing it, like I picture, and again, in the context of coaching, so not therapy. So Mm -hmm. in the context of coaching, someone comes to you who has gone through, say, traumatic events and you're setting the goal. The goal is the post-traumatic 
growth, right? Again, that that space of reconnection with oneself. So in a sense, and are the steps basically like that they have to be able to define safety for themselves, but for some of them, they've never experienced it, right? Yeah, so it's a lot of understanding like what is safe enough, I think for folks um, and like really marking and imprinting for the person like every single little win. Because for some people like, we think that we need to do something at 100% in order to really experience a, a correction or a sense of healing. But even just like the tiniest little, like, like even every 30 minutes, just remembering to look outside the window to give yourself a sense of like, okay, I'm here, I'm in the present moment, I'm safe, my nervous system can just like relax from this conversation for a little bit and then coming back for like 15 seconds. Like even that little decision to tend to yourself and to tend to the needs and to create safety for yourself is a win. And so just really um, sort of assessing in the present moment, like what feels like it needs support and then helping people create a sense of support and connection to themselves. And then eventually, you know, folks realize that as they're able to attune to their own needs, um, what, what I witness at least in my session is that as folks are feeling like they're able to attune to their own needs more quickly, um, they're feeling more empowered to be able to have those conversations with other people relationally because there's less risk. Because if, if, if I'm only okay if another person is tending to my needs, then that person can tend to my needs or not, but there's risk in that and there becomes a dependency on that becoming the outcome. Whereas if a person has ability to soothe themselves and work with their own nervous system, their own emotional regulation skills, um, there's a lot more agency that comes in that and a lot more choice in how you want to navigate the world and interactions with all kinds of relationships, bosses, partners, friendships, parents, whatever. Yeah. And, you know, so what I love too was your word choice, safe enough. Mm -hmm. uh, the reason why that jumps out to me is because I know a, from my own personal experience, like there, I was in a phase at one point and I'll speak specifically to romantic relationships where the idea of being vulnerable in the first place was paralyzing. And I was in my mind, I was like, well, I'm going to create safety by never opening up. And yeah. I, I'm curious if you ever encounter that, right? Like if someone is like, well, I'm not going to have a boundary. I'm just going to go ahead and create a whole wall. And mm -hmm. I guess yeah. kind of like, how do you work backwards with people from when they they're coming at you and they're like, oh, well, don't worry. I know safe because yeah, I just created a whole wall or a whole fortress. And I stuck myself in the middle of the fortress with like alligators and a moat around yeah. all of that. So like, how do yeah. you work backwards from that? Or how do you help people work backwards from that? I, I think just circling back to that feeling of safe enough, like if you've got this fortress, this, these like, I'm imagining like a thick, thickly lined castle that goes up to the sky and alligators and dragons and everything. And it's just like, if safe enough for you looks like just looking out the window of your fortress and just seeing what's outside. Cool. If it looks like just talking to your alligator and saying like, Hey, I don't need you to be, you know, a kilometer out. I don't need you to be patrolling in this way. I just want you to be at the door, like whatever it feels like to you to create just like 1%, 1% of vulnerability while you're still maintaining your personal boundary. Because when we've been through ex uh, experiences of trauma, oftentimes it's a violation of our personal boundaries. And so we need to like, we feel that we need to like swing the pendulum all the way over to 
really protect our boundaries sometimes sometimes that's the response right and and that that's okay and to just sort of like normalize that that's where a person is at and that instead of trying to make it like you're doing something wrong like we are trying to dominate our own selves again and like internalize even further this like response of I'm doing something wrong I'm bad I'm not okay like whatever just like honoring something happened to me I feel like I need to put up this 1000% boundary and like that's okay and and I don't I don't ever push clients to like not respect their boundaries but once there is oftentimes once there is a sense of acceptance of okay this 1000% boundary is here the boundary like kind of like it loses a bit of rigidity because because it's been honored and then it might feel like a little bit okay to come down like to 999% or whatever, you know, and, and, you know, just to honor a person's nervous system where they're genuinely at, I think is really, really important, especially as survivors, you know. That's really, thank you. That's such a really helpful way to visualize it because I think sometimes, you know, I, I also love your previous statement that we are in an age where there I feel like we're in an age where so many people have been diving into personal development work. And I do think that this is absolutely new for our generation. I think especially like for me as a woman of color and, you know, my family immigrated to the United States, you know, this being silent was so important to kind of keep a low radar, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I'm struggling, I'm not going to go ask for help because I don't want to disclose my status as being say an undocumented immigrant, which was the case for my mother. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there were, there's no way that we were going to, or my mom's generation or the women before hers, we're going to have the the luxury or the privilege to really have conversations about our feelings because really they just yeah. had to survive right like they just had to get yeah. through the the basic like needs like making sure that there was shelter making sure that there was food making sure that there was clothing mm -hmm. and our generation thankfully we as overall many of us have those things already um and now it's like well then what's next and so i i really appreciate you making that point because i think like when so many of us are like what the hell and we're so frustrated with our parents generation and those before them i think it's important to recognize like that people are functioning as a result of the environment that they're in and when you are just surviving um, you're not going to have that luxury of having conversations about your feelings and what you're dealing with and handling. You're just getting things done. Um, yeah. So to, to like bring that back to um, the other thing that I was going to say was this idea of, yeah, the castle and the moat and the gators and people having the 1000% boundary because they have been so wounded before. Mm -hmm. um, I love that you talk about like, okay, once they've assess a little bit of safety, bring it down to 999%. Because I think what happens now, what I've noticed is social media, you know, people, people make their grandiose posts on social media all the time. And I'm guilty of it. I post all the time too. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very easy to see what other people are sharing as their experiences and measure ourselves up against that. And so if someone for example, I'm very open about the things I have gone through and it is very healing for me. Mm -hmm. However, I never want other people to think that they have to go to the extreme of what I have done to get my story off of my chest in order to make progress. So when you have someone coming to you and they're practicing that comparison of like, 
here I am and I have my moat with my gators and I see this other person who has like demolished the the castle and has like planted a field and is frolicking around with all these little flowers and such. How yeah. do you help that person kind of focus their growth on themselves? Oh my God, I love that question. Um, and I also really just like want to circle back a little bit before when you had said that like it's a luxury to be able to be in this time in this generation where there's so much information available like i really feel i think about generational trauma a lot and i really think that it's a privilege to be where we're at right now and it's a privilege and we're on the backs of all of the people who've been in a state of survival to get us here and so in i think that like hurt people hurt people we can pass along generational trauma we also are privileged enough to be passing along generational healing by being in this space so like yes there's validity in your needs not getting met yes there's room for grief and anger and rage even fine um and like it doesn't cancel out the fact that it's really amazing that we have this access that we have right now and to be able to be in a space where you know maybe our parents grandparents cousins ourselves even might be in the castle and then there are folks out there that have like a sunshine sunflower field and they're just like tra la la look at me like in my post-traumatic growth phase which i think like it's really important to just remember that where everybody is at is beautiful and it is okay and it's not wrong like you can't do this wrong we all are born i think it's important to remember our own privileges like we're all born in different intersections of many different factors and so if you need to have a castle and the gators in the moat that's okay because there's a reason for that and there's no wrong way to go about your healing process i think that <clears throat> like shame is really insidious and shame is really a huge part of navigating trauma and it's a part of why i use my voice on social media is because i've lived in a bubble of shame and i've lived in my own castle with maybe it wasn't gators maybe it was more of like just i don't know fire breathing dragons like but it was like one big safe purple dragon that just like covered the whole castle and kept me really safe but it wasn't that kind of energy like it was a very fearful energy like I lived in a, a castle of shame and fear and, and just being like a really scared little kid and so I think it's totally okay if you have your own dragon your own gators your own castle it doesn't it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with who you are. And I think that like that voice that comes up or the narrative that comes up that says there's something wrong with how I'm healing, that's where your healing is, is, is in whatever narrative that's coming up to say that you're doing this incorrectly because there's no way to do it incorrectly. Like even though social media has all of these kinds of like different people who make it seem like it's something, all of those people have a life behind their grid and behind their phone where they're a hot mess, just like all of us, because it's a hot mess to go through trauma. It's a hot mess to heal it. Like there's no other way to talk about it. Like it's not pretty. So I think that we don't need to minimize our experience further or shame our experience further because that is just kind of like the, the narrative of what it is to be in survival. And so we can just soften that a little bit and accept where we are, you know, it's my hope for people anyway. Yeah. And, you know, and this is perfect because it kind of leans into my next question. Cause I was going to ask, right. Like what are common challenges that you see people facing 
um, as they are experiencing this growth, right? Because I mean, I think like one of them has got to be that, the comparing their journey to someone mm-hmm. else's journey and feeling like they're doing it wrong. I think that that's common. And I, I see it happening in recovery spaces too, where people think that their version of sobriety is wrong when mind you, there is no right way to stop using substances that are deadly to you, right? Like for some people, they go through phases and do harm reduction. Some people cut um, everything out cold turkey. Some people go to the doctor and get medications, right? Like there's all sorts of different ways to get to that end goal for yourself and your relationship with substances, which mm-hmm. absolutely makes sense in terms of also trauma um, recovery. Um, I also wonder like if guilt ever comes up for say your clients as they're making progress. Cause like they're, again, I, I think from a recovery standpoint, there can sometimes be the guilt because suddenly we're, we're doing well and there might be this internalized false narrative that we tell ourselves in recovery often that like, oh, well, you know, I caused so much pain in my drinking. I caused so much drama in my drug abuse and I stressed everyone out and how dare I now be happy. Right. There's really complicated grief that can come up. So I'm curious how you see that showing up for people specifically with post-traumatic growth. And obviously, like as you all are listening, like I want to recognize that hand in hand, people um, recovering from addictive substances can very easily fall under the umbrella of people recovering from traumatic experiences. So, you know, obviously we're not talking about two separate groups of people. Sometimes it it interweaves and sometimes it doesn't, but Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of curious how it shows up in Jasmine's experience with the people she gets to work with. Yeah, they definitely, they interlock and interweave. I think that guilt comes up a lot. Um, Like the sort of survivor's guilt is something that I kind of hear often, you know, like I, um, I've showed up really messily in certain circumstances or when I was in, I try to kind of like use language of different parts with my clients. So kind of like we'll have sort of survivor brain or trauma brain is, is online. And that's what we use to describe when like we're really emotionally um, dysregulated or our nervous systems really activated. And so it influences our thoughts and our feelings and our behaviors. And so when I'm in survivor mode or survival mode, I kind of like I interact with people or act in certain ways. And then I feel bad about that later when I look back on it and I see the impact that that had on other people, on my job, on my relationship with myself. Some people feel guilty for even how they interacted with them themselves. And so I think that guilt is is super common. Like, and it, it doesn't mean that anything, again, like it doesn't mean that anything is wrong with a person for experiencing guilt. I think guilt is a is a human emotion and it's it's one that deserves honoring because it, it shows where your values are. And so when you are unpacking the emotion of guilt, it's probably that it's rubbing up with a value as to how you want to be or how you value yourself to be or the image that you want for yourself. And that the way that you know things have unfolded have been not in alignment with what those values are but again when we're acting from a space of survival um, or a space where our sort of like inner child wounded parts are really online we act we actually don't have access to the same parts of our brain that we do when we're regulated when we're calm when we have been um you know practicing our certain self-care practices whatever those might be for longer periods of time we have more access to kind of like our 
um, our prefrontal cortex, like the part of our brain that allows us to regulate and have conversations from a space where our rational parts are online. So I think, yeah, guilt is super common. And I think another thing that's an, not, an, not an issue, but something that comes up often is um, sort of just intellectualizing. Like there's so much information out there and social media really like adds fuel to the fire. And so there's so much intellectualization and kind of like hyper awareness as to what's going on internally for a person. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're processing what's going on. Just to speak to your feelings is not the same thing as feeling your feelings. And so I think that that's another little caveat that um, kind of comes up as a little bit of a trend in in sessions where it's like okay i'm hearing you say that you're feeling guilt i'm hearing you say that you're feeling shame i'm hearing you say that all of these things are present for you but can we be with those feelings can we actually feel those feelings how do we express those feelings in a way that is healing for you positive for you not going to harm anybody or yourself um, and how can we work with those experiences in a way that is supportive for your post-traumatic growth instead of maintaining your trauma loop of whatever whatever that is for that person? Um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, that part on intellectualizing versus experiencing, I think is, like you said, we have so much access to information where we can talk the talk really easily. And so I guess... How does someone go from saying, I feel guilt to actually experiencing it? Is it like, do you have folks like name the sensation in their body? Like, how is someone able to go from just, yes, I know I have this versus I'm dealing with it? Yeah, it, it kind of depends on the person, their comfort level with going into emotion, because we all have our own relationship with ourselves, and we all have our own relation, like, therefore, we have our own relationship with our emotions. And so if a, a person is feeling very, like, um, they have a castle, but not only to people and to the world, but also towards their own heart it's the same thing. It's like, you know, okay, what is 999 look like for you in terms of accessing that guilt? Whereas somebody who has no castle at all, and this is something I'm really proud of for myself and my own journey is I wouldn't say that I'm a hundred percent comfortable feeling all of my feelings, but I'm, I'm pretty close in, in my own process of, of being like, okay, like we can feel this and it's not going to kill me. Cause I think that's what we, when we have difficult or constricted relationships with our emotions, we oftentimes have a reason for those boundaries being around our heart. Like it can become so overwhelming to experience an emotion like guilt. It can completely consume us and we can't get out of the bubble. So it's about like, you know, if somebody does have sort of a, a boundary with their own heart to access their emotions, it's about like titrating, we call it. So like going into that feeling a little bit in a way that is safe and then coming back to putting your wall back up. Okay. I'm going to let it down just a little bit, feel it for like 35 seconds with a person who can actually walk me through this, I'm going to put the wall back up and creating a sense of actual safety in the body so that we're able to go into those experiences and feel our feelings. And then if a person is totally comfortable feeling their feelings, um, then we might do full blown practices. We might like, you know, bring that into a session. We might ask, a, we might create a ceremony around it. We might do like, you know, with, with anger, I think is really especially important for women. Like a lot of us carry a lot of anger to the point where it might even make us sick because there isn't a like socially acceptable way for a woman to be angry still somehow, you know? And so I really encourage my female clients who 
at all clients really, but like, especially with like, you know, I want my women to be able to access their anger, like to go box and to like do things with their, or to sing or to scream or to like hit pillows or whatever it is to like actually allow that energy to move instead of stay stagnant in their body. Cause our emotions and our feelings, like our feelings are our intellectualized idea of what we're experiencing in our body but our emotions are just energy and so we can express our energy in whatever capacity feels safe but it's about really assessing that boundary internally as well as our external boundaries towards the world so there's no one size fits all i guess yeah and no that's a that's a super helpful point that you made and i love that in terms of like a way to express, I actually have started taking boxing classes and I, I highly like it. It's mm-hmm. so good. It's so therapeutic just to guess, get that, that energy out. And a couple of things, you know, remind me of a book that I, I love also Brianna Weiss um, book, the mountain is you. Yeah. When, I love that book. Yes. When you were talking about guilt and how guilt is basically showing you where your values are, right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, her text just does a really excellent job of pinpointing the different inf- pieces of information that different emotions are actually giving you. And so as opposed to feeling bad about the different emotions, as opposed to resisting those different emotions, like really being able to sit with them and kind of get curious and figure out what are those emotions telling you? So with Mm -hmm. that being said, for someone who you mentioned is struggling with guilt and that guilt is pointing out what their values are, what would you recommend as a way for people to find out what their values are? Um, Well, I think that there are like, there are tons, I I think in this case, like language is actually really important. I know I was just sort of like, don't intellectualize feel, but now in this case, I'm like, okay, intellectualize a little bit. Like, I think there are a lot of really good resources out there where you just look, like, I think we don't really similarly with needs and feelings, like we don't really realize how many words there are to actually create a sense of cognitive structure around our experience. And so if you don't know what your values are, like, just go look up a list of values and and like just circle them and and you'll actually find like I recently had a session with my therapist where she was like, do you want to do a values exercise? And in my own, my ego came out and I was like, okay, I think I know what my values are, but it was so good to go back because our values change. And it was so good to just go back to just like looking at a sheet of paper and like, okay, out of all of these things, what are the 10 most important? What are the five most important? And then of those five, like which three feel the most relevant right now? And you can learn a lot about yourself by just creating a little bit of language. Um, yeah, and that your values change. And I think that our values really change after we've been through trauma as well. Well, and you know, the interesting thing too, going back to this idea of our generation having the privilege and the luxury to be having these conversations, we definitely were not talking about our values in the home growing up. I feel mm-hmm. like that narrative of family values is a common term thrown around, but I feel like the only values that I feel like that I was ever exposed to as a kid in terms of conversation was just like the general like family values, like, oh, women do this, women don't do this, we do this like this, we don't do things yeah. like this, right? Um, and really, again, that was never giving me the opportunity to slow down and sit with myself and think about, well, what actually matters to me? You know, yeah. and I feel like so much of the work that I've had to do in recovery has been, you know, working on going through different beliefs that I've always had and then being like, wait, 
does this actually resonate with me? Or have I just been like doing, like busting my tail, trying to meet some of these goals because other people set them up for me and I just bought into them. Right. Or like my, my family was told that these were things that mattered. And so I just automatically followed suit. So that's been really um, empowering. And I I think that, yeah, I'll post a resource in the link in the show notes also to a value survey for people to check out because it is really helpful to have a sense of what actually matters to you. Like forget your family, forget what mm-hmm. the people before you did and really tap into yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my second to last question is, um, I feel like you've probably hit on it, but if there's anything else that you would recommend for folks in terms of strategies for dealing with the growth period after a traumatic event. Um, I think it's important. I would love for you actually, if you can differentiate therapy between coaching, because you have had the opportunity to navigate both walks as a professional. And when should someone see a therapist for their trauma? When should someone transition into coaching for their trauma? Like if someone's like, man, this is me, I've been struggling. Um, how do they know where, which path to take? Yeah. So I, when you, it's so wild because we live in a time where coaching is just like such a like broad scope. And so, um, there are a lot of somatic coaches out there that probably would be able to be really supportive when it comes to like post-traumatic stress symptoms. But if you're finding yourself like really, 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 really stuck, um, there are certain areas of town that you can't go to. You're having like chronic panic attacks. Like those symptoms of your PTSD symptoms are really loud and really frequent all the time. And you're feeling like you are really not able to move through them. I would really support getting, or really suggest getting support from like a mental health professional. Um, it's just a different experience, just a different experience, like educationally where a person is coming from in terms of coaching, you don't really know. I would really also recommend that you, you vet your coaches. Like I would really, there, there's such a, there's such access to coaches out there and like where it's like trauma informed or all over the place, but, um, we don't always know what that means for certain people. And so I really, I really encourage people to, when you're seeking help from a coach, remember that you're seeking sort of supportive tools to help you from where you are presently to go towards the future. In some cases that might look like doing emotional regulation tools. For some coaches that might be just like goal setting and follow through following through with like little goals here and there. I don't I don't know. I don't know all of the coaches, but I know there's so many out there. But just like doing a little bit of research to really identify what your needs are and then choose from there in terms of coaching and 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 to to do your it, it's kind of a it's kind of a catch 22 because you don't really know what your needs are until you get support um and so sometimes my experience okay i'm going to go into a bit of my experience right now that's okay i a few years ago was working i knew that i had a lot of traumatic stuff that i was processing and i sought support from a coach thinking that because they had a really glowing um presentation online, I thought that this person was going to be the one that was going to help me go through it. And there was this real kind of codependency uh, energy that I was going into the relationship with of like, this person is going to fix me, help me, heal me, whatever. And that's not that's not the energy that you want to go into these relationships with, but that's what the energy that I went into this relationship with. 
And I was attracted to this person because of the way that they talked about trauma, the way they talked about healing. They were very spiritual, but in a way that seemed very like grounded in ancestral work in a way that seemed very um, in alignment with what I valued. And so I did like pay a good chunk of money to go into a container with this person where actually my needs were not met and harm was kind of done um, because their trauma or their uh, their lens was not what I thought it was. And so I think just like really getting articulate and uh, articulate with what you are looking for um, and advocating, like really advocating for what those needs are, are really important. And it's kind of difficult because sometimes like for myself, I had to walk through it to realize that my needs were something else than what I thought they were. So just being really careful and honestly like nothing nothing bad can come from seeing a, ther a therapist like a mental health professional first um, and then sort of working through is it here in this kind of space that I need support or is it in a, a space that's um, more coachy that I need support but I think it's always important to prioritize sort of like your safety and your stabilization um, and with that it's, it's probably better to go the mental health route yeah Okay, that's really helpful because I think like that question comes up a lot for folks. And so I always love to hear different people's takes on that that question for sure. And I think that the vetting a coach is incredibly important because, you know, anyone can call themselves a coach. And so basically, mm -hmm. like if you are going to invest in someone supporting you, just making sure that they've got the resources and the tools to actually help you get to where you want to be. And if not, again, like same thing with people in recovery who come to me, I always encourage them to go to mental health um professionals for therapy for really like doing that digging into the past um mm -hmm. I always I'm like you know because I work with a therapist myself like I have a coach and a therapist and I feel like they're both very helpful for my mental health in different ways right like the coach's yeah. movement I feel like for me a coach is action-based and forward moving and accountability and support and like a good cheerleader and mm -hmm. to like that mirror up to you and call you out but i think mm -hmm. the therapist is the one that really helps you kind of like dig into those skeletons in a in a safe way so that you aren't like you said causing harm to yourself either while yeah. doing that exploration so awesome yeah and it's like it's not a it's not a linear process like i think that in my head at a certain point, I was like, okay, well, I need to do all of this like skeleton digging up and then I need to like figure out what my forward steps are. But I find that it's just a constant ping pong because as I move forward, I'm like, wait, but that is activating something. What's that? And so then I kind of, so, you know, I think it's, it's great to have access to both. Like if that is accessible, like, you know, or somebody that can kind of like toe the line a little bit between both. Yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm so glad that you brought that up because, you know, I've just hit six, six, what am I saying? Six. I have hit <laughs> three years sober. I don't know where the number six came Yay, from. Congratulations. Um, thank you. And this past year, so in my third year of recovery, I actually went back and got a new therapist with a background in disordered eating because mm -hmm. I realized it took me two years of not drinking to discover that I had such a complicated relationship with food and my body that mm -hmm. I was like, whoa, like this is not, I'm not, I can't talk to a personal trainer about this. I can't talk to just like a health coach about it. Like, no, no, no. I need to talk to a therapist and really dig in. And so I'm so glad that you brought that up because it, this is absolutely not linear. And, you know, we yeah. did a really intense work 
this past year for me to really reshape my my mindset around my body and eating because I just I had no clue. I literally had no clue how much of the seeds that were planted when I was a child, like how much those grew into full blown like just lack of self-acceptance in certain areas of my life that were really hurting me. And mm-hmm. again, because alcohol for me was my primary issue, I couldn't see the other layers of the onion. So it's like yeah. kind of like dealing with alcohol and then you just keep going and going. And so, you know, who knows there, I feel like more will be revealed as my life continues, but I'm, I'm just really glad that you brought that point up because I want folks to realize that like, there isn't necessarily an endpoint for either or for that kind of support, right? Like you can have both at the same time. There may be times when you going to a therapist isn't relevant and really coaching is going to help you. And then there's times that you need to stop everything and go back to a therapist because something has come up. So um, just thank you so much for bringing that up because I think that's a super, super, super important point. Yeah, of course. So Jasmine, anything else that you want to share about the work that you do? Anything else? Or how can people connect with you? Like what's the best way to for folks to find you? Because you are taking clients, correct? For coaching? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am taking clients. Um, the quickest way to get in touch with me is probably through Instagram because I, like many others, seem to not be able to put my phone away as, as often as I should. Um, but I, yeah, I'm at Rising Rooted Wellness on Instagram or my website. You can get in touch with me there as well, which is risingrootedwellness.com. Um, but yeah, I am taking on one-on-one coaching clients for folks who are navigating post-traumatic growth. Um, and I'm going, I, oh, and I just released a little book. I don't know if you saw it on, on Instagram. Um, it's a little, it's a little like nurturance book for self-care. It's a three month habit tracker and it's got coloring pages on every day for those three months so that there are little pockets of slowness like woven into your day. There's gratitude practices like weekly self-care um, challenges. It's it's really supportive. I, I wanted it to come out for winter time because I know a lot of folks struggle in the winter myself one of them being one of them and there are actually there's a a values list in the book as well as needs and emotions and like over 150 affirmations for times when you're struggling like it's packed full of all sorts of like seeds for growth so um yeah so that's also a part of who i am now i guess (laughs) now that that's in the world yeah that's awesome thank you for sharing that i will definitely um share that as well yeah so I mean, Jasmine, thank you. Thank you so much. Again, I think that you have provided a wealth of education in, you know, the time that we've been having this conversation. And again, um, folks, you can follow Jasmine at Rising Rooted Wellness on Instagram. I will put all the links for the different things that came up in our conversation in the show notes as well. Um, But yeah, thank you so much, Jasmine. I really appreciate your time with us today. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. And I'm just going to have that image of um, the castle with the gators in the front in my mind, I think, for the rest of the day. Great. So I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, if you are enjoying what you are listening to, I invite you to subscribe and share the podcast, but also go to my website, bottomlesstosober.com, and find out other opportunities to work with me from free workshops to writing classes to one-to-one life coaching opportunities. You can schedule a free consultation for that. Everything is available at bottomless to sober.com. See you then.